Welcome to the 221st episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions and our weekly look at Major League Baseball. Let's jump right in, starting off as always with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And we will start with Major League Baseball, where Patrick went 2-2 two and two in his weekend series predictions. He also went 2-2 two and two in his Women's World Cup predictions. That means, if you can do simple math, he went 4-4 four and four combined. And that brings Patrick to a 769-514 and 514 overall record, a 59.9% winning percentage. I think that's the first uh, time we've been below 60% in a very long time. Patrick, your thoughts about your weekend predictions? Uh, I don't know about that one for sure, but that you might be right. Um, but yeah, going back to the MLB to start with, uh, the Rangers won two of three from the Giants. Uh, they won the first two of, the, of that series, the Bruce Bochy series, you could call it. Uh, a lot of jersey retirements, a lot of honoree, honoree stuff going on this weekend all across the league. Uh, San Francisco was no different. They brought Barry Bonds out, uh, reuniting him with Bochy, of course. Bochy had retired as the manager of the Giants, but is now obviously back guiding the Rangers to this crazy season that they have right now. But uh, two solo homers in the sixth inning, uh, back-to-back by Nathaniel Lowe and Mitch Garver, uh, made it 2 to nothing. Texas, and although the Giants were able to scrap together a run in the bottom of the ninth, they still lost the game 2-1, to one, only had three hits in that one in the first game. And then in the second game, it was an offensive onslaught from Texas. Uh, Corey Seager opened up the game with a home run, and then in the fourth inning, Texas got three. In the fifth inning, they got two. And in the ninth inning, they added on three more, and uh, that was all they needed in the game. 16 hits and nine runs total in that one. Uh, the Giants got a few runs, but not really uh, too much sustained production, just three runs in the whole game. And then on Saturday, they only got three runs again, so the Giants really hitting a lull offensively as they won the Sunday game 3-2 to two in 10 innings. Uh, but it entered extras, obviously, 1-1. One to one. So the Giants, in regulation in this whole series, had th- four combined runs, which is just nothing. Uh, just Or sorry, five. But just really bad run production overall. Uh, from them throughout the series, although they were able to scrap that win together on Sunday. So not the worst for them to only lose two out of three, considering how bad their offense was this weekend. Uh, But they will have to move on and see if they can be better this week in their series against the Rays and against the Braves. Uh, Not getting any easier for them, although you could make the argument that Texas is a little bit better than the Rays right now. Um, But not much better, and you're still playing a top-five team in the league regardless. So uh, the Giants... Tough sledding for them while uh, we'll talk about it later, but their divisional opponents not exactly having tough sledding, a pretty easy schedule and taking advantage of that easy schedule. But uh, moving on from that, you have the Twins. They took two or three from the Phillies. If you want to talk about easy schedules, look in the AL Central. That is where you will find them. Uh, the Twins uh, took the first game in the series, thir- or sorry, lost the first game in the series, 13-2. to uh, Had some Funny moments, though, as Jordan Luplo decided that he was going to bust out a Craig Kimbrell impression as a position player pitching on the mound, uh, proceeded to give up a two-run homer for the first homer of Johan Rojas's career on a 50-mile-per-hour up-and-in pitch. Um, but, yeah, not exactly Craig Kimbrell there from him. Career ERA is probably eight times what Kimbrell's is. But at the same time, uh, it didn't really matter, obviously. The Phillies were already winning 11-2 to before that homer. And uh, they were able to still, though, rebound from that game, win the next game 8-1 to on Saturday, and then win the final game of the series 3 to nothing on Sunday. So the Phillies, 
offense falling flat after it had come out hot to start the series with those 13 runs. They just ran out of production on Saturday and Sunday. And in the end, a quality, quality start from Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray uh, on Sunday uh, end up sealing the series up for the Twins, and they win two of three there. That was a loss for me. Then you have the Cubs, who took two of three from the Blue Jays. I probably should have picked the Phillies, or I probably should have picked the Cubs if I was picking the Phillies, because that series I went very pitching matchup um, heavy, or sorry, that series I went very momentum heavy in terms of the Phillies playing better in the second half. But this series, the Cubs, they are the momentum team of the league right now, obviously. Um, One of the best records since the All-Star break. It's really them, the Dodgers, and the Mariners who are up there. Um, But... I didn't go that way. You Not necessarily the most um, consistent picking method, I won't lie, but thought it might go different in the series. And I also thought that the Cubs might have run out of their magic because they were on such a long streak for so long that maybe this was the point where they cooled off and the Blue Jays were able to uh, get on a little streak of their own. But Javier Assad went seven innings in the first game. I also thought the Blue Jays had better pitching matchups for sure. But Jose Barrios uh, was knocked out of the game in the fifth inning. The Cubs won that game 6-2. to two. Uh, then you have the second game of the series where the Cubs were tied with the Blue Jays um, after they put up a four-run fourth inning to take a 4-1 to lead, but then the Blue Jays slowly made their way back into the game. Two-run homer in the fifth by Whit Merrifield and a ground rule double by Santiago Espinal uh, to make it 4-4 to in the sixth, but unfortunately, Kevin Biggio would have scored on that double had it not gone over the fence But because it was a ground rule double, he doesn't come around to score. The Blue Jays don't add on in that inning. And then the Cubs get a double from Christopher Morrell in the ninth inning. And they end up winning 5-4. So that one came back to bite them and I got that one wrong. Uh, And then there was the most entertaining series of the weekend. While Felix Hernandez's uh, jersey was being retired, the Mariners were paying him an ode by having a pitcher pitch a nine-inning complete game. Well, not a complete game, actually. A nine-inning game uh, from George Kirby. Three hits given up in the entire game for him. But in typical Mariners with an ace on the mound form, like they did so many times to King Felix, they did not score a run in the entire game. And as a result, it went to extras. And Andres Munoz gave up one hit in the 10th inning and they lost the game one to nothing, which honestly might be the most perfect script you could ever write for Felix Hernandez getting his jersey retired because that is exactly what the Mariners did to him Four years, and of course by doing to him, I mean with him on the mound. They just could not score, uh, which sadly that is how the Mariners were doing back then. Uh, that's why they had such a long playoff drought. But the Mariners had won the first game of the series 9-2, to and that game obviously ending 1-0 to in 10. But then on Sunday, it was Cedric Mullins who robbed a homer in the ninth inning and then hit a homer in the top of the 10th inning to make it 5-3 to Baltimore uh, after that game was sent to extras on potentially what would have been the final pitch by Dominic Canzone. And then uh, Mullins ended the game. Well, that didn't end the game, but hit the two-run home run, put Baltimore up by two. And uh, Shintaro Fujinami came in and closed it down for Baltimore uh, to finish that game off 5-3. to three. And Baltimore won the series. That was another win for me. Uh, but then in the Women's World Cup, we're getting down to the semifinals now. These games are all quarterfinal games. Uh, starting with Spain, who beat the Netherlands in after extra time, to advance to the semifinals, the Netherlands obviously had won the group over the United States and uh, had advanced around further since then. But uh, the U.S., of course, irrelevant in this tournament, but the Netherlands not taking that path that the U.S. would have had and going all the way to the finals with it instead. Uh, it will be Spain advancing to the semis. The Netherlands getting a goal 
in stoppage time after the 90th minute and the 91st minute, technically, to actually send this one to extra time. But Spain scored the game-winning goal in the 111th minute, a very, very late goal after it looked like that match might be headed to penalties just like the last few had been uh, in the round of 16. Uh, But then, uh, so I got that one right, I should mention. And then uh, Sweden beat Japan. Sweden's been playing well all tournament, obviously beating the U.S. when arguably the U.S. played their best game of the tournament uh, is definitely no no easy feat. And they backed that up again by going out and winning this match uh, early on Friday against Japan. Uh, Japan was my favorite to go ahead and win this tournament, but they just kind of had an off night um, in this game. They ended up coming back frantic pace uh, scoring at the end of the game, but they missed opportunities in this game. They missed a penalty off the post in the 76th minute, and after Sweden already had two goals in by the 51st, it was just too much scrambling from Japan to be able to actually get back into the game. They did score in the 87th minute and had some quality opportunities by the end of the game uh, to actually even it up. The possession ended up 50-50 right down the middle, even for both teams, but Sweden had so many shots and so many shots on goal in the first uh, half that they were just able to take that pressure and run with it and win the game off of that. Uh, They made their penalty, which was also very important. Both teams had one penalty opportunity. Sweden made theirs. Japan did not. Uh, And as a result, it will be Sweden in the semifinals, probably, in my opinion, now the favorites to win this tournament, uh, the way they've been playing, because they proved that that USA game was not really a fluke, and they've just been maybe the best team all tournament long, and we didn't realize it. Uh, But then... You have Australia and France, a very, very entertaining match. Uh, Both teams going back and forth despite not being able to score any goals in regulation. A combined 36 shots, although most of them missed the goal. There were only nine actually on frame in the whole game, which is not many considering how many shots there were uh, between the two. But France really controlled the second half and extra time in terms of being on the ball. But Australia had a few really quality opportunities when they were counterattacking Uh, But unfortunately, it went to penalties. No team was able to score in regulation. But Australia, they get get the goal from Courtney Vine uh, to win that penalty shootout. It was a ridiculous penalty shootout. Mostly makes anything that was missed was really a save and maybe one or two off the post. Um, But after a very, very long shootout where uh, Australia made 7 out of 10 and France made uh, 6 out of 10, it is the Aussies who end up going forward uh, into the semifinals. And remember, they're the hosts in this tournament. So pretty good story there that they're now in the final four remaining. Uh, but I did get that one wrong. A very close game, though. Very entertaining. And then you have England against Colombia. Uh, Colombia scored the first goal of the game in the 44th minute. But Lauren Hemp scored a goal for England in stoppage time right at the end of the first half in the four, in technically what would be the 51st minute if you extended it. But... It was the 45th minute plus six minutes of stoppage time, and they only had plus six on the clock, so probably what would have been the last kick of the half, actually, uh, ended up netting a goal for England. And then Alessia Russo finished it off with a goal in the 63rd minute, and Colombia was not able to make their way back into the match and make come up with an equalizer, so England ends up advancing, setting up the semifinal matchups between Spain and Sweden, and then Australia and England. All right, well, uh, that looks that wraps up our look back at Patrick's weekend predictions. His predictions for next weekend will be posted, as always, on our website on Thursday. That's at 4th24.com. Let's now turn our attention to our weekly review of Major League Baseball, starting, as always, in the American League East. 
The Baltimore Orioles are in first place in the AL East. They are at 73-45 and 45 on the season after winning that weekend series against the Mariners, like I mentioned earlier. 7-3 uh, and three in their last 10. Every team in this division still has a positive run differential. Baltimore with the second best at plus 65. That, of course, is because their pitching staff is not as strong as the Rays has been over the course of the year, but might actually be pitching better right now uh, than the Rays due to the Rays injuries and the Orioles upgrades. The Rays, on the other hand, 71-49, and 49, the lead team for the top wild card spot. Uh, but three games back of Baltimore, obviously that is the end goal for them to find a way back into the divisional race and winning that one, but I don't know if that's going to happen or not. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. Uh, they played over the weekend uh, against the Guardians, and they took two or three from them, but they had lost the week, the week weekday series excuse me, to the Cardinals, so uh, not too great of a week for them, honestly, given the opponents and given how Cleveland has been playing too well. Two opponents under 500 um, and only able to come up with one series victory, a 3-3 three and three overall record. Not what you want uh, when you're chasing in the division. So you have the Orioles staying on top there. And the Blue Jays, uh, very important in the wild card race, currently the third wild card team at 66 and 54. They are 6 and 4 in their last 10. Did not get swept by the Cubs. Ended up putting up 11 runs on Sunday to avoid that sweep. But they split their week, their middle of the week series with the Guardians after their sweep of the Red Sox. So overall, a pretty good week. Uh, uh, in terms of just overall for the Blue Jays, if you want to go week and a half and go back to the Red Sox, not the best overall to go three and four, lose, you know, get swept, or sorry, lose that series to the Cubs and then split that series with the Guardians, but um, especially the way the Guardians are playing right now. Um, but they also lost the series before that at the start of August to the Orioles. So overall, not the greatest um, performance from the Blue Jays coming out of the All-Star break. Uh, but at the same time, They've played just well enough to stay afloat, and there are teams that are playing themselves out of the race, and there are honestly more of those teams than there are teams playing themselves in. The only problem for Toronto is that Seattle has been playing really well recently, and I'll get to that later, Um, but it looks like with the Rays five games up on the Blue Jays, and then the Astros playing how they are at two and a half up, it it looks like that final spot is going to be down to Toronto, Uh, Seattle, and then the rest of the pack, whoever can emerge from that, although it really looks like it's just down to Toronto, Seattle, and Boston at this point. Uh, But speaking of Boston, I'll move on to them. They're 62-56. and They had a big opportunity last weekend to make up games on the Blue Blue Jays, uh, but they didn't. They got swept. That is the difference in the division right now and obviously in the wildcard race as well. Um, That three-game swing in that series is the exact margin. Uh, then they played the Royals this week, and they did take two of three, but it was it was pretty close. And then they only took, or sorry, they took three of four from the Royals. I should give them that credit. And then they took two of three from the Tigers. Um, obviously, they would love to sweep at least one, if not both of those series. Uh, but they're still able to end up with a five and two week overall. Uh, not too bad for the Red Sox. And because they went five and two, they are staying pretty tight in that wild card race, as I said, with the Blue Jays having a tough schedule. And then the Red Sox will go on to play the Nationals this week, so that's another opportunity to gain some ground on Toronto uh, in the wildcard race, while the Blue Jays, meanwhile, are playing the Phillies for two games and then the Reds for three, and then even moving on to next week, they're playing the Orioles for three, so a tough schedule ahead uh, for the Blue Jays, whereas Boston has a little bit of an easier route in that time, although they have a series with the Astros at the same time that the Blue Jays are playing the Orioles, I believe, Uh, but then... 
You have the Yankees at the bottom of this division. They are 60 and 58, 13 games back, just plus one on the season. Uh, just really rough stuff with the pitching staff. It's just not gone the way the Yankees uh, anticipated this year. And uh, overall, they just lost a series to the Marlins over the weekend. Didn't get many runs in that series. Uh, well, actually, they did, they did get seven runs and a loss and then nine runs uh, on Friday. But uh, before that, they only got one in their loss on Saturday. And overall, they still lost the series and got walked off on Saturday after giving up five runs in the ninth inning to the Marlins. Um, and also after losing a series to the White Sox earlier in the week. So a really bad week for the Yankees. Uh, and it's really... Getting to be doomsday for most of those fans. Not very happy with the way the team is playing right now. Not very happy with what they did at the trade deadline because they were the only team other than the Angels that if you looked at Fangraph's playoff percentages has a 10% chance or less to make the playoffs and didn't sell at the deadline. And obviously the Angels had, uh, let's say, other reasons to say the least. Um, and if it if you can't go with other reasons, you can also just say, a lot of people did say before the Angels did that, they should have been sellers. And funny enough, the reason they didn't sell is because the Angels believe themselves to be a contender based on sweeping the Yankees, which we now know is not very hard to do because the White Sox almost did it and the Marlins almost did it, who are completely fading out of their wild card race. And then obviously the White Sox, one of the worst teams in baseball. So Yankees, not going too well right now. Probably should have sold at the deadline. If they weren't selling, they could have at least made moves that would make them more competitive at the end of this year and very competitive next year uh, when they hopefully don't have as many injury injury issues uh, but they didn't either. They got one reliever. They called it a day. They strengthened the strongest part of their team and moved on and arguably didn't even really help that much in their bullpen. But uh, just overall, not a great deadline from the Yankees. Not a great season from the Yankees. I'm not expecting to talk too much about them going forward, although they are technically still in it because they're actually only five games out of the wild card, which is, I mean, that the same difference between Toronto and Tampa Bay that there is from ta- Toronto to the Yankees. But I don't see the Yankees leapfrogging the Red Sox and the Mariners and the Blue Jays to get there. All right, well, let's move to a division the Yankees wish they were in because they'd be tied uh, in the loss column for first place with the first place team, the AL Central. Well, they still actually, for the well, now the Yankees are bringing down the standards of the AL East, though. Now every team except the Yankees would be leading the division, which has actually been the case for a few weeks now, although it used to be that these these 10 teams at the top of the AL standings were all in order of record in descending order um, back when... Fifth place in the AL East was a really, really good team. Now it's just a decent team. Uh, but the Twins at 62 and 58 have a lead in this division. The only team with a positive run differential here, six and four in their last 10. Like I said, they won their weekend series against the Phillies. They are four and a half games ahead of the Guardians, who have kind of dipped predictably since the All Star break and since the trade deadline. I don't really think you can expect them to play so well when they sold at the deadline, despite being near 500 in a division where the divisional leader had just lost a series to the Royals. Uh, they entered the deadline 53 and 54, entered the end of July 53 and 54. Then after the deadline, they got swept in a little two game series with the Astros uh, or sorry, they, no, they got swept in three game series with the Astros. Uh, they were 53 and 53 entering that series. Then they lost two or three to the White Sox. Uh, and then they split with the Blue Jays and then lost two of three to the Rays. So overall, it's just been a little bit deflating for Cleveland since they uh, made all those trades. They even faced off against Aaron Savali, who uh, wasn't the winning pitcher in the game, but did pitch in a win um, for the Rays on Friday. Uh, so, and you know, I, I obviously mentioned Savali because that is who they traded away. That was kind of a big sign that Cleveland wasn't going to be adding at this year's deadline. 
And Josh Bell has really found his form with the Marlins as well, which I'll talk about later. So that's not really going well for them right now. And that's probably demoralizing looking at the other clubhouses that your guys are in uh, and they're succeeding and you as a team are not. Um, But because of that, uh, the Guardians not playing too well right now. Don't really expect them to pick it up, especially with uh, series. Although they play the Tigers in between these two, they do have two games against the Reds and then three against the Dodgers and three against the Blue Jays and then another three against the Twins. So... Some tough series coming up for the Guardians. Don't expect them to be making too much noise in those series. Uh, not doing very well in the wild card race either. They're eight and a half back. What I'm trying to say here is all points, all, all signs point to the Twins winning this division. They're the team that added actually at the deadline, or at least if they didn't add, they stood pat um, and at least made some lateral moves. Uh, now bringing up more prospects, getting guys healthy. Matt Walner, Edward Julian, part of that mix. But overall, it might be a lost cause for other teams to catch up to the Twins in this division. Um, I don't necessarily think the Guardians did the wrong thing by selling, though, because it, they're just not looking like they can be even a competitive team in the postseason this year. I don't think any team that advances out of this division will be. Um, so, you know, even though you're only two, three games back of the division at the trade deadline, I don't think that the division title is the only thing you're looking for when you know that you can probably win this division easily in the future like you have in the past. Uh, but then you have the Tigers, they're 53 and 65. They're eight games back, five and five in their last 10. Uh, the White Sox somehow have a better run differential than the Tigers. They are 47 and 72, six and a half back of the Tigers, if you care about third place battles. But lost three in a row, four and six in their last 10. And then the bottom of the division, you have the Royals, probably the worst team in franchise history for them at 38 and 81 already, about to lose 100 games pretty easily, pretty convincingly. They would have to be above 500 uh, in the last 40 or so games of the season to not lose 100 games. And judging by the fact that they are a 319 winning percentage this year, uh, I don't think they're exactly going to be going above 500 for 40 games. All right, let's move over to the American League West. The Texas Rangers are in first in the West. They are at 70 and 48. Uh, one of the three teams in the American League at 70 wins. One of the five teams overall at 70 wins. Uh, the other two, obviously, haven't talked about, but they are in the National League as division leaders. Pretty much, pretty obvious who that is. Uh, but the Rangers, plus 181 on the year in run differential. Only the Braves are better, and they're not that much better, despite the fact that they won a game by 18 this weekend. We'll get to that later. Uh, the Rangers 8-2 in their last 10. They were the longest unbeaten since the All-Star or since the trade deadline. Uh, although the Dodgers now have the best record since the trade deadline because I think they lost their first game after the trade deadline and then won everything since then. Uh, but the Rangers still hold the two and a half game lead over the Astros. They have the same uh record, or sorry, same winning same same uh games back number that they would have if they were in a division with the Rays. So in a hypothetical where the Astros overtake the Rangers, they would be tied for the first wild card spot. So not going to be in a bad playoff position no matter what happens in the rest of the season. Uh, if they continue to play like they have, though, they probably will win this division. But it's getting really close, and the Astros are playing really well right now. They are definitely challenging, uh, trying to get their way back into the race and make it really, really interesting at the end of the year. We'll see how many series those two have left against each other. Uh, right now, I see one in early September, and then that is actually it for the season. So that one will be pretty important. Um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, but then, speaking of the Astros, they at 68 and 51 are in second, two and a half games back 
in the divisional race and also two and a half games back in the race for the first wildcard spot behind the Rays and actually two and a half games ahead of the Blue Jays for the third wildcard spot. So two and a half is the magic number uh, for the Astros there. But plus 86 run differential on the year. They've gotten good pitching despite the fact that their staff has been really injured and even when they've been healthy, some of the guys haven't exactly pitched uh, their best. But Farmer Valdez came in with a no-hitter last week, so that'll always help how good your pitching staff looks. Um, And they had a comeback win to raise Felix Bautista's ERA by nearly one run in one game, which is ridiculous, but it went from like a .5 to a 1.4 or something like that um, on the year after Kyle Tucker hit a three-run home run, and they beat the Orioles in that game and actually went on to win that series from the Orioles overall. Uh, But look, the Astros playing good baseball right now. Looks like they are going to catch up to the Rangers and make it really, really interesting at the end of the year. And then you have the Mariners, who are actually making this division a legitimate three-team race. Definitely feels like the only division in the league where three teams actually have a shot at it. Although, two weeks ago, that would be an idiotic thing to say, and that would be obviously the NLS, but we'll get to why that's not the case later. Uh, But the Mariners have the best record since the All-Star break. Uh, Better than every other team in the league, including the Dodgers, who have also been 8-1 since the trade deadline or something like that. The Mariners, 8-2 in their last 10 just lost the last two of that series against the Orioles, but were on an eight-game winning streak before then. Um, and as a result, uh, they lost their first game of August and then hadn't lost since until that game against the Orioles, or those two games against the Orioles, that they both lost in extra innings. So the Mariners are playing really, really well right now. It's very, very hard to beat them. Uh, it only took the second be- the team with the second-best record in baseball uh, to do that, and also extra innings in both of those games. So... Uh, a very interesting team to watch right now, just playing ridiculously well uh, across the board, especially on their pitching staff. As a result of all that, they are tied in the loss column with the Blue Jays uh, and one and a half game, games back overall for that final wild card spot. So the Mariners could be making a tight race there with Toronto. Uh, meanwhile, you then have the Angels who are under 500 at 59 and 60. Uh, Two weeks before the trade deadline, I said they should give away Shohei Otani, get a lot of prospects back, um, and because he probably wouldn't re-sign anyway when they missed the playoffs, they would be hurting if they didn't get anything out of him. Then a week later, I said it might have been the right thing to keep him because they were surging at the time, and if you sell out of that moment, it's just not the right thing to do, which I think at the time was actually true. But I am here to say that I was right originally. This team is still not making the playoffs, um, and as a result... They played with fool's gold. We talked about it earlier. They convinced themselves that they were a good team because of the fact that they swept the Yankees, forgot the fact that the Yankees are terrible uh, and have been terrible for about a month now and didn't even have Aaron Judge in that series. And then they went on to take two of three from the Pirates after that and then uh, take two from the, or sorry, sweep the Tigers. And that's when they really went in. But the problem is beating the Tigers, the Pirates, and the Yankees doesn't mean you're a good team. They had just lost... A mini se- they had just gotten swept before that by the Padres in three games, swept by the Dodgers in two, and had two of three taken from them at home by the Astros, and the only game they won was a 13-12-10 inning game. So the Angels probably should have looked at a larger sample size than a week, maybe looked at their entire season. Unfortunately, now they have all those pieces. Uh, they really own the deadline, moved around a lot of prospects, took maybe all the took like half the valuable pieces off the market and none of those players are going to be in the, in the playoffs at this point which is 
feel bad for C.J. Crone and Randall Gritchick. You know, they thought they'd be in a better situation leaving Colorado, but they're going to be in the same place in October that they were going to be if they were still on the Rockies roster, unfortunately. Um, so that's a little bit sad for the Angels. And then, after, by the way, after that, after those trades they made, they lost a series to the Blue Jays, lost a series to the Braves, got swept in four games by the Mariners. They did win a series against the Giants, but then they went again and played the Astros. The Astros scored 11 runs against them on Friday and on Saturday, and then they got one back on Sunday, winning 2-1, to one, but that is the end of their uh, feel-good story as they now are one game under 500, were two games under 500 a few days ago, 11.5 back in the division, and in the wild card not doing any better, 6.5 back would have to leapfrog the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Mariners, and the Blue Jays to make it all the way to the playoffs. It's not going to happen. And finally, you have the A's who are 33-85. and 85. Um, they're the A's. They have a negative 284 run differential. Really, really bad. And they also blew a bunch of leads this weekend. Uh, they were up in all the games of that series, I believe, against the Nationals, who are also one of the worst teams in baseball. But even they were good enough to beat uh, to beat up on the A's. Uh, they were up 2-1 to one going into the 8th yesterday. They lost 3-2. to And today, they were up 7-2-2 two, two going into the ninth inning. And they lost 8-7. to seven. So, uh, very bad. By Washington, or sorry, very bad by Oakland, um, as Washington claims their participation trophy of being better than the Mets this year. The Mets or the A's? Well, let's talk about the division with the Mets and the Nationals in it. Let's move over to the National League East. Well, I said being better than the Mets because the Nationals had had climbed their way above them in the standings earlier today by percentage points. Uh, But unfortunately for the Braves, they actually lost a game to the Mets, and now don't have the best record in the last 10. That actually comes from the bottom of the division because the Nationals played the A's. Uh, but the Braves, 75-42, and 42, still playing good. But I honestly, like I said last week, I see a lot of the 2022 Dodgers in this team. I just see a very, very regular season heavy team that is setting so many records and playing guys so often that either they're going to make the mistake of resting guys and they're going to get out of their rhythm and not play well in the postseason, or... They're going to have five guys play 162 games. All of them will take four days off when they don't play in the wild card because they won their division and they're not playing in that round and then come out really rusty uh, in the NLDS and maybe get kicked out early like they did last year against the Phillies. Uh, It's happened before. It could happen again. It happened to the Dodgers. They completely owned the Padres all year long and then the Padres beat them in, in the playoffs. The Braves did have more trouble with the Phillies last year in the regular seasons. That wasn't as surprising. Um, but, the, I mean, the Mets also lost their series to the Padres. So you never know what can happen in those little short playoff series. Uh, and Atlanta right now has played, I won't say bad baseball, but bad enough baseball to lose multiple series. Um, the Mets, of course, aren't going to really challenge them. As a result, the Mets lost the first game of the series 7 to nothing. They lost the second game of the series 21 to 3 And they lost the third game of the series 6 to nothing. But the Mets did get seven runs on Sunday to finally win a game against the Braves. Although the Braves had been coming off a four-game split with Pittsburgh. So, again, not really playing great right now. Uh, Every single game in that Pittsburgh series, they gave up five or more runs. Not something you want to say to one of the teams, the only team in the entire NL Central that has under 500 runs, the lowest run production in the National League other than the Marlins. So that's a really bad mark to give up five runs every single game to a team like that. Uh, Lost two of those games, as I said. Uh, and the the ones they won were two two run wins also. So that's not really that, that's that's cutting it close when you're the Braves. Uh, we'll see if they continue to fade and actually it results in more losses. But they're still five and five in their last ten. 
still have the best run differential in baseball, and as I said, still just dropped 21-3 to uh, on the Braves like it was a Falcons-Jets preseason game uh, on Saturday. So, you know, they're still doing fine, but I, I will say that you've got to watch out for them maybe fading at the end of the season because also that's exactly what the Rays have done as well. Uh, meanwhile, you have the Phillies who are playing well at the right time. Again, they somehow just love to put themselves in the tough situation where they're fighting for a wild card spot instead of for the division. And then they start to play their good baseball uh, halfway through the year. But they're doing it again. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10. They're 11 back in the division, which is irrelevant, but they are number one in the wild card. And really, all these wild card teams are playing poorly other than the Cubs. So it doesn't look like they're going to have too much trouble um, getting at least the second spot, probably the, the top spot in the wild card. Uh, and then you have the Marlins, who, despite having a rough few weeks, uh, have kind of got found something with Josh Bell. Uh, Sandy Alcantara pitched a complete game. He's kind of come around towards the middle part of the season, so they might be getting back to their normal form. And if they're able to do that, get a little more run production, all of a sudden you could see this team surge again. It was Jake Berger who delivered the walk-off today. So the trade deadline acquisitions coming in big uh, for the Marlins. But they're now still third in the division. They are in the third wildcard spot, though, just a half game ahead of Chicago, who lost on Sunday. Uh, they've won their last two against the Yankees, but they're still 4-6 and six in their last 10. Uh, then, like I said, the Mets played horrible, 3-7 and seven in their last 10, obviously not doing well because of all the guys they've given up. And then you have the Nationals, who actually have the best record in the last 10 games out of any team in this division at 7-3, and three, uh, won three in a row by sweeping the A's. A few comeback wins over the weekend. Honestly, the Nationals are looking okay heading into next year, a lot better than I thought they would. And crazy enough, the teams in the National League are so bad overall that the Nationals are actually closer, as close to a playoff spot as Cleveland is uh, in the AL, which is ridiculous because Cleveland is 8.5 back at 57-62. and 62. The Nationals are 9 back at 53-66. and 66. Uh, but look, Washington's actually playing okay. They could be like a Cincinnati-type team next year where if the right guys come up at the right time and they have a lot of energy, they might actually be a little bit of a wildcard threat. Uh, not going to really put that out there as if it's A, going to happen, or B, as if it's that hot of a take. It's kind of a lukewarm take. But we'll see what happens with the Nationals next year. Uh, definitely still some tough competition in the division, though. All right, well, speaking of the Cincinnati Reds, let's talk about their division, the NL Central. Well, we thought a long time ago, maybe even as, as recently as two weeks ago, that we'd be seeing them at the top of this division weekly, but that is not the case. They're actually still in third place. Uh, the Brewers are in first place. They have really picked it up recently. They won, they've won. they won four in a row, seven and three in their last ten. That series, or that, sorry, that is what happens when you play the Nationals, the Pirates, the Rockies, and the White Sox. You win a lot of games. Uh, so they entered July with that series with the Nationals, uh, despite actually losing that series to the Nationals. They started off 57-50 and 50, uh, at the beginning of August. They are now 65-54, and 54, so 8-4 and four so far. Honestly, could be doing better than that if, they, if you're being really picky, but uh, they split the last two with the Nationals after losing the first one. They split with the Pirates just like the Braves did, which I don't know why so many teams are splitting series with the Pirates because they're not that good. Uh, but then they took... Two of three from the Rockies, uh, and then swept the White Sox over the weekend to make that uh, set four in a row, excuse me, for the Brewers. So not too bad from them. Uh, and as a result, they have opened up a larger divisional lead uh, on the Cubs and the Reds, who were tied for second place, three and a half back in the division. Uh, this one kind of the only division where 
there's not a clear route of you should get to the wild card instead of getting to the division. It's pretty much even. Uh, I will say that Chicago and Cincinnati are both only a half game back of the wild card, whereas they're three and a half back in the in the central. But I could see Minnesota or sorry Milwaukee playing as playing a little bit worse than the Marlins for the rest of the season, and as a result, making that about the same record with those two as the third wild card versus the division leader in the NL Central. Uh, but the Cubs, as I said, won that weekend series against the Blue Jays, but they lost their weekday series against the Mets this week. So a pretty rough look uh, for them. And that's kind of resulted in them fading out of it. They would have been in, in the NL wildcard lead had they won that series. Uh, then you have the Reds, who did win their series over the weekend against the Pirates. But more importantly, they lost their series at home to the Marlins uh, in the middle of the week. And obviously, you don't want to win the, lose those series when you're playing against a team that's right in the competition with you. If the Reds had taken two out of three instead of the Marlins taking two out of three, uh, then the Reds would be 63-57. and 57. The Marlins would be 61-58. and 58. Instead, you have Cincinnati 62-58, and 58, a half game behind the Marlins in that wild card uh, race for third place. And I've talked about the Pirates way too much in terms of uh, who they've been playing this week, but uh, they are 53-65, and 11.5 back, and then you have the Cardinals 52-66, and 12.5 back in this division at the bottom. All right, let's wrap it up with a look at the National League West. Well, what was the most interesting division for pretty much half the year is now one of the more boring divisions. Maybe outside of the NL East, it probably is the most boring race to watch. Uh, the Dodgers are now up eight and a half games on the Giants and 12 and a half on the Diamondbacks, who despite winning their weekend series against the Padres, are two and eight in their last 10, just a really, really bad result. Uh, for them, the Dodgers have been on fire since the All-Star break, since the trade deadline, uh, are now in position where, honestly, it's not about winning the division anymore. It's about chasing down the Braves to get home field uh, in the NL. They're only four games back of Atlanta. Meanwhile, as I said, eight and a half up on the Giants. Uh, the Dodgers 9-1 in their last 10 with an eight-game winning streak. Uh, really, all the deadline additions have been really, really good. Ahmed Rosario had three home runs in the on the year before joining the Dodgers, now has three home runs in 13 games since joining the Dodgers, which is just pretty ridiculous. Um, Miguel Rojas has hit two home runs after hitting zero in the first half of the season. So a lot of production from a lot of places that the Dodgers didn't necessarily expect it. Uh, Kike Hernandez has also been pretty good for the team as well. Lance Lynn has delivered three wins and three starts going six innings in all of those or five innings at least in all of them. Five, I think he went five innings in one, six innings in one, and seven in the other. But regardless, not giving up many runs, a two ERA flat since joining the Dodgers. And as a result, uh, getting Clayton Kershaw back off the IL also helped as well. And all of a sudden, the Dodgers went from rookies all over the roster, rookies all in the rotation, 13 different rookies were on the roster at one point or another this year, to just James Outman and Bobby Miller in the rotation. Bobby Miller now the fifth guy in the rotation, maybe arguably the fourth if you want to argue him versus Tony Gonsolin. Um, but then James Outman leads the MLB in on-base percentage since the All-Star break. So I don't really think you can uh, you can be too mad about that rookie being in the lineup. He is even better than his teammate Freddie Freeman, who's making an NL MVP push. And really right now, what an interesting race. I mean, the NL MVP... There are two teams that are heads and head and shoulders above the rest, the Dodgers and the Braves, and they both have two players that are head and shoulders above the rest of their rosters. It's really just down to Acuna and Olsen for the Braves and Freeman and Betts for the Dodgers, the right fielder and first baseman on both teams dominating the rest of the league. The numbers are up there, uh, and honestly, 
There's different things to like with Alden. Mookie, probably the best all-around player, most versatile. Uh, Matt Olson, probably the best pure hitter out of all of them. Definitely the power hitter of that group. And then Acuna is the do-it-all in terms of stealing bases, home runs, uh, exciting plays. And then Freddie Freeman is just kind of the steady guy that gets you every single type of hit. Doesn't have as much, has the lowest home run total out of any of them, but also has the second highest stolen bases, but clearly leads all of them in doubles and gets on base more than any of them uh, and leads in average as well and also hasn't made an error at first base this year at all. Um, So a really interesting conversation for MVP there going on uh, between those four. Uh, And then the Dodgers just really, I mean, nothing you can say about it. They're just playing really well. They took that series uh, from the Padres after sweeping the A's, took three of four from the Padres, swept the Diamondbacks in the miniseries, swept the Rockies in four. They now move on to playing the Brewers, the Marlins, and the Guardians, So, and then the Red Sox. So uh, going to gonna mess up the AL and NL wild cards for a few weeks. We'll see what happens with those matchups. But then, speaking of the NL wild card, you have the Giants, who despite uh, going four and six in their last ten, are still in the second place in the wild card. Definitely could be in danger of losing their spot, though, if they keep playing the way they are right now. Uh, they salvaged the end of the series by winning one game against the Rangers. But they play the Rays, the Braves, the Phillies, and then the Braves again, and then the Reds. Uh, so if it couldn't get any worse from already being eight and a half back from the Dodgers, check out that check out that schedule coming ahead uh, for the Giants. And the fact of the matter is they really missed their opportunities. They played the Diamondbacks and they got three or four from them, but then played five games against the Angels and the A's and went one and four in those games. And that is where they kind of lost their opportunity to uh, stay afloat against the Dodgers and really... When you look at the schedule they have coming up, you don't take advantage of those games. How are you going to beat the Rays, the Braves, the Phillies, or the Braves again? Uh, I just don't see that happening. They could easily fade out of the wildcard race in a few weeks. The Reds already beat them uh, in a series earlier this series earlier this season when they were really, really in the wildcard race. And I could see Cincinnati coming out with a vengeance, uh, trying to even the score there and get into the wildcard race. Uh, it's a really interesting race, though. And speaking of that, Arizona is actually as close to the NL wildcard as the as Boston is to Toronto uh, in the AL, despite the fact that the Diamondbacks are 2-8 and eight in their last 10 and have been pretty much awful since, I don't know, maybe mid-July. I mean, they have barely won any games. They were 50-34 and 34 at some point. They're now 59-59, and 59, and that was after winning their last two games. So at some point, they had gone, I believe, 7-26 and 26 was the stretch they were on at some point. And just overall, really, really bad plays um, for not bad plays, but bad, bad play from the Diamondbacks just as a team. Uh, It doesn't look like they're going to rebound from this and be a playoff team. But after all, they are only two and a half games back, so you never know. But then you have the Padres. They are 56 and 62. Uh, Had a very important series this weekend against the Diamondbacks. Just like last weekend with their important series against the Dodgers, though, they failed to step up. They got swept in a two-game miniseries against the Mariners in the middle of the week. And all of a sudden, after trading for guys at the trade deadline, Rich Hill has been pretty much the... uh, Rich Hill and Lance Lynn went in opposite directions. Both of them had five or so ERAs uh, before joining their teams. Rich Hill has continued in that direction, probably going up since he's joined the Padres. Lance Lynn has gone straight down. So those two kind of of middle-of-the-trading board in terms of... uh, value options have gone completely opposite directions as veterans. Um, And unfortunately, the Padres got the short end of the stick while also having the longer odds in the first place. And when that happens, that combined with each other is just not going to result uh, in any wins. Um, Fernando Tatis has not been a superstar this year either. He's just been a regular star, which I mean, 
he's still one of the best players in the league, but he is definitely not doing anything that is out of the ordinary um, anymore. And who knows how much that results from not being on PEDs anymore. Um, but fact of the matter is, Manny Machado's hot month also ended, and all of a sudden it's just kind of back to what was happening in the middle of the season for the Padres. They've kind of lost their swagger again. They're not winning the series against the Dodgers, not winning against the Mariners, not winning against the Diamondbacks. I don't know who they're going to get wins against. Um, and coming up, they have the Orioles, and they have the Diamondbacks again, and then the Marlins. So not getting any easier going forward, and the Padres are continuing to fade out of the race. And then at the bottom of the division, you have the Rockies, who are really, really starting to disappoint. The The worst team other than them in the National League has a 441 winning percentage. They're at 381, which is crazy how the floor of the National League is a lot higher than the A's and the Royals. Uh, but outside of those, outside of the Rockies, though, there are a lot of really, really slightly below average teams and not many bad teams, but the Rockies are definitely the definition of bad in the National League. Okay, that wraps up our look at Major League Baseball for this week. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, August 18th, where we will have our final college football preview podcast, this time wrapping things up, talking about the Pac-12 and the ACC. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his Major League Baseball power rankings that are updated every Wednesday, his picks for next weekend's games that will be posted as always on Thursday, and his predictions for the entire college football season. All of that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.